Well, rugby league fans, uh, it's been a crazy old world in the greatest game of all. But we hope you're all doing uh, well out there despite the coronavirus pandemic that's hit the world and our great game. Uh, Zach Bailey here, joined today by Dan Walsh and Alicia Newton. Guys, uh, how are you both holding up? Yeah, going all right. Down on the south coast, Zach. I see uh, I have checked in with your Bailey's bunker lately, though. It's looking pretty good. I'm doing what I can. Even the uh, North Sydney Bears get a start, uh, given they're part of our game's history. But uh, as I've said to anyone or any players out there, send gear this way. Uh, plenty more room in the set uh, for some gear. Dan Walsh, you've lost a, a fight with a lawnmower. Luckily, mm. this isn't a, a, a vodcast, and it's just a podcast. Yeah, it's been uh, nine days without nine, ten days without rugby league, and um, yeah, I've already lost my hair, so uh, that's a fair indication of where where I'm at in the middle of this. Perhaps um, you've got uh, a chance to be an NRL coach in the not too distant future because uh, most of them lose their hair pretty quickly as well, right? He's already hit that Britney Spears stage, put it that way. Okay, uh, as as I said, it's been a it's been a crazy old world. Um, for our game, for society in general, and, and we hope everyone's holding up okay. As we are recording this, uh, the RLPA and NRL are still locked in a meeting trying to finalise uh, the pay deal for players. Uh, we're hearing it's pretty close, um, so we won't go into that too much. We just hope that all parties are happy at the end of it, given it's such a big topic and, and talking point for everyone involved. Uh, but Alicia, uh, tell me about Project Apollo, headed up by Wayne Pearce. That's that's the word. That's the uh, the saying, isn't it? So spoke to Wayne Pierce yesterday about uh, this project that's going ahead. Basically, he said that they've got about two weeks. He's hoping to have everything sorted by week three from now. So two weeks to come together with the this innovations committee and come up with some scenarios and ideas based around um, hopefully a July one restart of the competition. So uh, he said it's a great challenge. Uh, it's one that they've obviously never had to experience before, so they're hoping to to nail it. Like that's that's their challenge. That's what they've designed to do and to come up with. So it's uh yeah. I mean, good luck to them. There's so many scenarios that are being floated around, and we'll go through that. But um, you know, I think if anyone can, it, it'd be Wayne. Dan, that uh, project Apollo, as Wayne Pierce uh, dubbed it himself. Uh, do you think we're going to have as much luck? as uh, they did getting Neil Armstrong to the moon all those years ago. I think um, Alicia did touch on it there. If anyone's going to get it done, yeah, Junior's a decent man for it. Uh, when you call Wayne, his, um, his message, it rings out towards at the end of it. He says something like, and think about, you know, what you can get out of this day. The man's incredibly positive and the group that they've got there, you've got Robbo who's, um, you know, at the forefront of the game in terms of, uh, innovation and different ways to take it and there's there are a few not so great ideas getting tossed up here but Peter Volandis has stressed the entire time that everything is on the table and they are looking into everything um, once the the pay deal with the RLPA gets finalised that's when everything can move forward from there uh, at the moment that's the priority for obvious reasons because it sorts out the finances of the game more than anything more more than anything else but uh, July 1 is yeah the obvious target and there's a fair bit of positivity definitely more than there was about a week ago uh, mm. around actually getting a game off the ground what it looks like though is um, very much on the table it's 
from what I'm hearing, a conference system is probably is getting a bit of traction. Um, that's one of the things that they'll look into there. And but as we've said the entire time, and as has been stressed, every option is still on the table. Just on the uh, players' pay deal, uh, make sure all our listeners stick to NRL.com. We'll have all the uh, details once that is finally announced. Um, the July one start date to a lot of our fans out there, Alicia, a lot of people will think it's crazy. Was Wayne as optimistic as Peter Volandis has been about that start date? Because really, in the, in the scheme of things and how fast this whole pandemic's moving around the world, it's anybody's guess as to really when we will be able to get things up and running again. Yeah, hundred percent. He was he was fairly optimistic. Um, I think he, he he did point out that he, they are still working with the biosecurity experts as well in this. And I mean, we've seen in the past couple of days that that the cases have dropped in New South Wales and all those things. So I think you know July one just gives everyone a bit of, um, as Dan said before, a bit of security or at least a bit of hope that that's when it can and then they can go through and and work on okay if july doesn't work what about august and then we look a bit later on in the year so he was he was pretty optimistic um as i said before he he just said it's a challenge that that they can come up with so many different scenarios and and work their way through it so two weeks he said to you is the indication as to when they hopefully have some sort of answer dan July 1 is best case, September 1 is worst case. If it falls somewhere in the middle, I guess we're all happy just to have the game back at some point. And, and you, you referenced the conference system. Is that the most likely? Is that what, when you're speaking to people around the game, that makes the most sense at the moment? Uh, yeah, stressing that, again, there hasn't been anything forged ahead too far at the moment. They're looking into everything, but nothing... Is, uh, is getting set in stone by any means. But the conference system has its advantages in that, as I think, as I've seen Wayne Pierce mention across a couple of media interviews at the moment, uh, the idea of quarantining players has a lot of merit, but it also has a lot of challenges as well. And so the idea of taking uh, the entire competition up to you know, a location in Queensland that's been mentioned a lot, uh, 16 teams is a lot. Uh, the conference idea does have, you know, whether you're halving that into two conferences or whether you're quartering it into four conferences, that makes the, log- the logistics a little bit easier. And I think that's where that gets a bit of traction there. Um, but again, um, a fellow by the name of Paul Broughton, who had a little bit of a chat with today. He So uh, for our younger listeners, Paul's an absolute icon of the, ad- of the administration of the game. Uh, you know, it was involved with, Involved a long time with the Gold Coast, uh, former Newtown coach, player. He's got some serious stripes and he's um, still very sharp in that, in that regard. And uh, he sees, yeah, again, the conference system being one of the more logistically easier ways to move, move it around. Um, the other thing that really comes into this is where the Warriors fit into the situation as well. Yeah. They face obvious challenge that's different to the other 15 teams in that have an international border to cross. At the moment, New Zealand is on lockdown, and I think that's the case for at least another couple of weeks. And so there's negotiations going on between the NRL, New Zealand government, the Warriors are very, you know, they're keen to do whatever's needed to get themselves involved in the competition. They're they're facing up to the fact that it's going to be too hard to play games in New Zealand this year. So they're pretty willing to come across and base themselves in Australia, which is a huge commitment as 
you know, it was across the first two weeks of the competition when they couldn't go home to see their families and there was so much unknown as to how long they were here for and what it looked like. But so there is a genuine desire to be a part of it and commit to whatever they need to do for a, for a four, five-month competition across the rest of uh, 2020. But what that looks like still has to be worked out. And then, yeah, from there, that's those are the big discussions that happen over the next two, three weeks. And that's where that innovation committee comes into it. Alicia, has there been any indication if they go forward with the conference style system as to where they're looking at in terms of locations? Like we're here in North Queensland or Queensland a fair bit, but, you know, is Canberra a possibility? Do we know anything along those details yet? Nothing like that. Uh, Wayne has just pointed out basically he wants he wants the players in their own bubble. So he just keeps referring to this this bubble, and obviously that just means that they're 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 protected, right? They're protected from from the public, and they're just going to be in their own little world for however many months, two, three, four months. So wherever that is, it, it could be as Dan said before too, split up into you know six teams in one side, sorry, four teams in one side, you know, by four. Um, whatever whatever sort of works, as I said, this is all just very um, coming up with, with their own ideas at this point, but um, nothing nothing really set in stone in that regard. Can I just throw my weight behind the, uh, the Tangaluma proposal out of South Queensland? <laughs> uh, I would love to go to Morton Island and yeah, base myself there for a month or two. It looks absolutely spectacular. Uh, so that's one of the, the suggestions. It's an hour from Brisbane. Uh, it's an island resort that, that is, they've put their hand up. Uh, they've been in consult, consultation with the Queensland government. They put it to the NRL. They're saying they've got room to house 500 players, the staff, the media that comes with it, but play the games at Suncorp. Um, it sounds fantastic in the middle of winter. It's a coronavirus getaway. I, I personally, let's go for it. Mate, you'll, have to, get, you'll have to get to the Sorry, back of the line so because I've already got <laughs> our first dibs on that gig. Go ahead, Alicia. I was say, with Wayne, Wayne actually spoke a little bit about that sort of concept too and said that how you'd have to quarantine the players at least for two weeks leading into something like that as well. Um, that way everyone kind of goes on the island and I assume it'd be like us again, another 14 days before we could, we could then join up and anyone that leaves the island, um, they'd have to wait. So it, it's a lot of commitment, right, from everyone, from players to staff to media to the whole lot to get to make that happen. And um, well, just on in terms of getting back, getting players back on the paddock, um, Alicia, I know you had a chat with uh, with Michael Maguire, uh, I think late last week, about how you actually, how much preparation players need. Uh, what was Madge's view on you know, getting, a, getting a West Tigers team at least on the paddock? We all know how tough he is at the best of times, but like we've heard, you know, Paul Gallen come out and said they're going to need four to six weeks and you know, at least a month preparation or in advance, you know, a bit of notice and, and Madge just talking to him. And he said, said Leach, if, if they've done everything right over there with their programs, there's no reason why they can't just have a week's notice and they're back into it that week. Like, and he just stressed too that the longer it goes on, you know, the, the more desperate everyone's going to get to play. And if it does get to that September and everyone's in a big panic, I think he just said, if there was, there's a week there, they just should just be able to jump straight into it. And he said, yeah, the players will be motivated, right? He said, but, 
you know, if physically is the right thing to do, or the sports science people would be would be in you know in shock that that's probably even being mentioned. But he said sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, and he referred to the old days and you know, in the nineties when he was a player, and you know there just wasn't a whole lot of sports science around it back then either. So he he definitely has that 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 old tough mentality. But yeah, it was up to him. He said they'd have a week, and that's it. I wonder how his players would react to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't asked yet. I've not asked yet. <laughs> oh, please! I reckon they'd uh, they'd be against it. But I mean, speaking to a lot of players around the game, they're basically saying whatever it takes, we're a part of. Which has been a great attitude from from all of them. Um, Dan, what's the overall feeling that you get from players at the moment? What's the biggest challenge do you think they've been facing, or the hardest thing to get their heads around? Oh, I think they're like everyone else. They're no different to everyone else in society. There's so much uncertainty over people's futures and employment um, and players are no different. Uh, you know, whether they're off contract, whether they are facing a significant pay cut, whether they don't know what their 2021 salary is going to look like or, and then, you know, down to the little things, you know, being stuck inside and not being able to train or interact with people the way they normally do they're exactly the same as everyone else and uh yeah they're dealing with it in different ways um yeah yeah some as far as some of the uncertainty goes i know of um contracts that were tabled there was one contract i know of that was tabled 20 minutes before um todd and peter fronted that incredible press conference where the game was called off uh that's now unfortunately those kind of things are now up in the air and they will get us sorted out eventually, like just like rugby league will be back eventually as well, and society will eventually return to normal. But uh, for the moment, it is just there is just so much uncertainty, and that's what these guys and these guys and girls are facing, just like everyone else. Alicia, from your dealings with players, and you've spoken to a fair few since last Monday when the game was suspended. Um, yep. What about the positivity of players because they are facing. Uh, challenges as everyone else is and a lot of them have young families and you know with it being so fluid with the situation you know they're all having discussions with their families about potentially moving the comp to one location and being away for a a certain amount of time have you been surprised or at their positivity with the whole situation um no i haven't been surprised i think they're all still in a little bit of shock probably with with how it's all gone down but talking to a couple of them you know that as you mentioned they have got families and they they're happy to spend you know more time with them and do their training on the side um but also like they've got family around them that have lost jobs themselves and and, you know we're talking about pay cuts at the moment and and to to think that you know their pay cuts are still quite compared to the the normal um person in society like they're still still being treated fairly well considering if if you're going to compare the average Joe with uh with what these players are, are still going to get, so they're still very grateful in, in, with where they're at, and they know that they're going to be looked after from from afar. And the other thing to point out too is like the communication is is still next level, and and you know the ability to to stay in the loop and contact your teammate and contact the club, and um it's it's all it's all still there. So there's and and again going back to Madge like and he pointed all that out too and said there's no reason why they they shouldn't feel um shouldn't feel down obviously at this point as to to what the future may like could hold for them uh just on that Alicia it's a 
good point you raise in terms of these guys and girls are grateful to be able to play this game for a living. Um, from talking to some of the welfare departments around the game, one of the big uptakes has been uh, people looking at their post-footy careers because this is this is a bit of a reality check in that, oh, okay, I'm, like, what happens if I can't rely on footy, you know, to provide for all the rest of it? Uh, a guy like Victor Radley has jumped back on the jump back into his carpentry degree, um, his apprenticeship. He's dragging Luke Keary around the eastern suburbs with him as his um, apprentice's apprentice is the term he's using. But he's also he described it as yeah, I'm looking at my spending a little bit more, and it is a bit of a reality check in far in so far as how you approach budgeting and money and all those kinds of things that yeah, for 21, 22 year old people doesn't matter if you're a footballer or not it's normally not your priority but it is this is changing the perspective a little bit and there was something the NRL welfare department has had an uptake of it's something like 80 percent of people looking players looking into all right what are my study options what can I do with this downtime in terms of giving themselves a fallback in terms of their career and that's not a bad thing to be happening. I think going back a while when the, well, the Holden Cup days, the under 20s started, it was almost like compulsory. They had to have something on the side, right? Like you had to be doing some sort of education. Whereas now a lot of those players that graduated from the 20s are now able to either finish that or they're able to get into it, which is great. Like Victor would have come through that system. And and I guess for the older fellas that weren't so much part of that, that 20 system, now they're in a bit of a, in a bit of a bother where they just got to try and pick up some things and, and, um, and and get back on the tools, which is very different, I suppose, for them. Yeah, and that's the thing. You've got to you've got to take positivities out of a situation like this. And a lot of the players that I've spoken to have been opportunist in the sense that they're, they're as you said, they're studying or working, or you know, even even if it's as simple as spending more time with family or getting routines, their homeschooling and things like that. But the great insight that social media gives us is things like into their training, and it gives them a platform. Um, to share with fans exactly what they're doing. Chad Townsend has a daily vlog, which has been awesome. Um, if you go to his channels. Um, also, um, I'm loving the um, battles um, on social media. A lot of the challenges, you know, they're, they're getting <laughs> pretty far-fetched. But um, the stuff between, like, the Watenes, the Lesniak brothers, hilarious. Um, you know, mimicking each other with videos and photos and stuff. And, and one of the real positives that I've found um, dealing with players is that, as you guys know, a lot of the time, these days, things are so structured when it comes to media and players. You've got to be at a certain time with a certain player and you've only got a certain amount of time uh, with them and it's all in the control of the club. Like getting players either if it's through Zoom or on the phone and then they're away from the club, Not we're not asking necessarily about day-to-day footy. We're getting a greater insight into all the different characters in our game and learning more. And I think from that, because we're all in it together as such, um, the relationships and, and trust levels between the media and the players will hopefully be better as a result, which means that post-corona era, when footy's back, hopefully um, that leads to more positive stories after this. I think um, also too. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say I'm, in, I'm enjoying the development in the last 24 hours of um, blokes shaving their heads and dyeing their hair and just doing all sorts of fun because it makes me feel a little bit better about my own predicament at the moment. Speaking of shaving your heads, and you have shaved it, I want a photo out on social media or something, Dan, to show the fans exactly uh, how brutal your uh, yeah. your head looks at the moment. 
It is. It's a Sturlow job. I will say that. I was actually. I was going to leave it a, a week or two, let it come back a tiny bit, and then uh, put it out. But uh, yeah, stand by my um, my two social followers, Mum. I will let you know soon as to how it's going. Yeah. I'm not brave enough, clearly, Dan, to shave my head, uh, and I think that'd be the right call for all our viewers and listeners. Alicia, no, no, no takers there either. I mean, you know, give it, give it a couple of weeks, see where I'm at, possibly. Okay, well, see I'll how it's going. Sure, <laughs> I'll make sure I keep checking in. Um, speaking of, uh, we've had uh, plenty of things on NRL.com over the last couple of weeks, despite no footy. Uh, one of them was. Uh, Who's the best player never to win a premiership? Nathan Hindmarsh, believe it or not, took it out with 23% of the votes. Behind him, uh, Junior Pierce, Wayne Pierce, 15%. But polls, um, we know it's been 30 years since uh, Tina Turner's iconic campaign, Simply the Best. So we've just launched uh, our campaign on NL.com in search of Simply the Best Players over the last 30 years, 1990 to now. And of course, we want our fans to have uh, their say and decide who it is. So each week we'll have a poll at midday uh, that'll go up on NRL.com for each nine positions and the coach. And there will be 10 nominees for each category. So guys, uh, the category that's just gone live is fullbacks. I'll race through them uh, quickly. Darren Lockyer, Billy Slater, Tim Brasher, James Tedesco, Darius Boyd, Greg Inglis, Brett Stewart, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, Anthony Minicello and Jared Hayne. Uh, I'll get in first. I think... Billy Slater might win this category. But, Dan, when you look at the names, I mean, that's a mm. talented list of players. Isn't it what? And you look at a guy like James Tedesco as well. He's, how old's Teddy? What, 26, 27, I think? And to think how good he's been over the last two years and the bloke still keeps talking about getting better, uh, He, you wonder where he could be if he stays injury-free and on the paddock for the next six to eight years we could be reframing this discussion by the end of his career as well. So it's an incredible, yeah, it's a great list. Um, personally, I'm with you on Billy as well. Uh, I think if Darren Lockyer had stayed at fullback for the rest of for his entire career and not made the move to 5'8", uh, you can't question that because he won a premiership with, with him doing it you know, pretty much straight away. But uh, just the fact that Billy, we look at him and think, like he, he redefined how the game was played from the back and players look to him when they study playing fullback. Like Teddy, for instance, looks at Billy Slater and studies his him via video to the nth degree. That's when people are basing their game off what you did in a position. I think that's a pretty good indication of just how good he was. I also read, I think I read the other day that, uh, you know, Slater basically they're, they're talking about Anthony Minicello as well and how he, he was the Billy Slater before Billy Slater came along and became what he what he did and I kind of tend to agree in that regard in that I feel like we we often lose track of players before them when another decent player comes along so it's a pretty uh just looking at the list again it's pretty pretty intense I mean you could you could play anyone and be happy with it um, and, and when you look at names like Hodgson Belcher Wessa, Peachy, Patton, Julian O'Neill, Robbie uh, Ross, Matt Ridge, Matt Bowen. I mean, Robbie yeah. O'Davis. They're, they're, I'd, I'd take any one of those fullbacks if I was a coach. And they've all missed out on, on nominations. God, there's it's some entertainers in there too. But David Peachy. <laughs> oh, mate. If I, was a, if I was a Sharks coach, every time he we went close to that dead ball line, 
<laughs> I would lose. I would lose more hair than you have this week, Dan. <laughs> Even Brett Stewart. Brett Stewart, very decent in his yep. in his time. Won yep. a couple well, of premierships. God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yes, think he pushed Billy Slade to the wing once or twice as well. Like they were around those 2008, 2009 era. They were pushing to, you know, who, they were pushing each other for the best fullback. And then you had Jared Hayne in that mix as well, coming in like 2009 Daly M season. One of the best Daly, one of the best seasons we've seen from an individual. It's a, it's a great list. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, uh, it's all up to the fans to vote. Uh, which they can do at nrl.com. Um, the 10 nominees will be trimmed to the final two candidates for each position the following Wednesday, so next Wednesday, with the polls on NRL Instagram and Facebook accounts deciding once and for all which player is simply the best. So as I said, all nine positions and the coach. I'm very interested with the coach, given the calibre of coaches in the modern era. But anyway, uh, plenty of stuff coming on um, nrl.com in terms of uh, matches, we don't have any live games, but uh, our TV guide you can find on Instagram and on uh, Facebook. Every Wednesday night, we've got Origin Classic matches. Thursday nights, we have fan-voted classic matches. Uh, tonight will be the 2008 qualifying final between the Storm and Warriors. Uh, on Friday, uh, tomorrow, uh, Manly against the Raiders. Their round 13 match in 2017, a classic at Brookie Oval. Then on Saturday, Bundaberg Rum, classic match. And Sunday, a grand final classic match. That'll be the 1999 grand final between the Storm and Dragons. And that was uh, a classic, that's for sure. Well, that uh, pretty much wraps us up here. Uh, Dan, please don't make any more outrageous decisions over the next couple of days. There's nothing else to lose, mate. Like the beard, sure. Uh, but yeah, I think we're safe now. And Alicia, stay safe down the South Coast and uh, yeah, keep isolating. Always isolating. Always. Day what? Day 12 at the moment. And uh, to our rugby league fans out there, thanks for your support uh, at NRL.com over the last uh, 10 days or so. Um, Stick with us. We'll have all the details of the players' pay deal and everything else. Plenty of uh, videos and articles as well across uh, the next few days and into next week. Uh, As I said, guys, thanks for joining us and hopefully we'll be uh, joining you again soon.